Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Julie Blacklow, my guest today, is an award-winning and Emmy award-winning journalist with more than 40 years on television. She was one of the first women in television news in the United States. She's had an amazing career where she has met the spectrum of movie stars and murderers and everyday people who just overcame amazing odds. Her own stifled her own life is writ with roller coaster rides of amazing highs and disastrous lows. She's had an amazing career, as I said. At the age of 60, however, she began to pull back from television news and totally switched careers to become a horse ranch manager. Here she learned that animals are sometimes a little bit more sane than people. Now at 75, she joins me here on the Storyteller Microphone. She is an author. She has started going back to painting, which is something she hasn't done in 50 years. She's a podcaster. This is Julie Blacklow at the Storyteller Microphone, obviously a woman who is not done. Julie, thank you so much. Oh, hi, Grace. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here with you. Well, I wanted to have you on for so many reasons. First of all, the lovely Amy Ferris connected the two of us, which was just such an amazing gift to have her on the show. And then to say, you have to have Julie Blacklow. And then I got to read your amazing memoir, which first of all, I just adore the cover. You know, you were adorable. You still are adorable, but fearless. You know, I just love the entire title of this. But the reason, Julie, I wanted to have you on the show was you were who I wanted to be, but was told I couldn't be because women didn't do journalism. So, Amen. So, I mean, yeah. So, that's... so talk to us about that journey. You're you're a minute older than I am. How did you know you could do it? I didn't. <laughs> My whole life has been an accident and completely unplanned. And I went to one of the great journalism schools in the country, Northwestern University, never took a journalism course, but took a writing course. And my professor said, you write pretty well. Have you ever thought about going into television because you're kind of pushy and uh, <laughs> overbearing? So I think you, but women were not doing that. So I was on, I was on course to be a teacher, which is what I think was acceptable to my mother. And so I migrated, I got to walk back home to Washington, DC, married a guy who brought me to Seattle um, to get as far away from his Jewish parents as he could. And so um, I fell into it. I met somebody at a, at a picnic who was a reporter at the NBC affiliate here in Seattle. And I, it was intriguing to me because I had seen a woman on this NBC station in Seattle. And I thought, I can do that. No one ever told me I couldn't. But even if they had, I would have probably said, oh, I'm going to try it anyway. No, no was never an acceptable Thing to stop me from anything. And you can see in my book, I pretty much tore down a lot of um, barriers. So I <laughs> ripped them down. But I went and had an interview with the news director. And he said, what qualifies you to, I was 23 years old, you know, a baby in the 12th biggest market in the United States. And I said, well, um, I know how to write. I thought I did. <laughs> I really didn't. And I said, I'm curious. 
I'm curious about everything. And I'll ask anybody anything. Anyway, it was the right time to be a woman, right place, right time. I did an audition, <laughs> ridiculously audacious, and I got the job two weeks later. So I was a baby, you know, in the business in a room of 120 men and two women. So that struggle is uh, talked about in the book. We were sexually harassed every day, but there was no word in the vernacular back in 1972, uh, but they were doing it and grabbing our, our asses and feeling us up and telling us they didn't want us there. But here, that's how I started. No one ever you, told me I couldn't. Yeah. And you persevered for 40 years and you're an Emmy Award winner. Your story is so amazing to me. Uh, it starts out, your book, it just starts out, you're this young little girl and you pretend you have polio? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's how neurotic. I, I, I was not getting the attention I wanted. So I faked this. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, it's completely neurotic. And... I never told my parents that I faked it, but I quickly recovered because I thought, <laughs> I thought, I thought how uh, freaked out my mother and father were back at a, at a, a re uh, resort where we went every summer as a family. So I saw my cousins getting more attention. I decided to make my, that's the first line of my book. I made my legs go numb. Who does that? I mean, a, cra a crazy person who is pathologically in need of attention. So my whole life, after I finished my book, I, I wrote it to figure out how I got where I did. Who was I? And so when I saw the genesis of that behavior at age five, then I migrate into a, then I kept getting in trouble, making trouble through high school, college, um, and, and onward. And I um, decide I end up in a career where it's like, look at me. It's kind of a continuation of a theme, but I turned that behavior. This is the story I tell myself. I turned that behavior into helping others to use the powerful weapon of a television camera to help others who didn't have a voice. And that pretty much defined a lot of the stories that I did over, over that career. And I think that does come through so beautifully in your book. What I saw, and yes, obviously it's a, it's a blatant plea for attention, but it's also a little girl who had figured out how to get what she needed. <laughs> That's right. And, and, and I would never play that down, particularly as a woman, as a bad skill set, Julie. No, it was, it was a good it's, skill set. I, you know, I, I was just born a uh, manipul uh, master manipulator. And, and I used to apologize for it. I used to think it was a bad thing. And all of those traits as a child, you're, you're pushy, you're ambitious, you're aggressive, you're needy, you're all of these things. And it took until I was 72 years old to say thank you instead of, oh, no, I'm not that. Well, that's but I such am a, that. <laughs> that. Well, I, I love that uh, in your bio, and I wanted to circle back to this, your friends describe you as tenacious, decisive, bossy, opinionated, loving, loyal, and brave. Yeah, that's, that's all true. I'll take the, the, what, what I would used to think of as the negative and say, thank you for all of those. Uh, all that is me. Uh, all those things apply to me. And I'm kind of an unashamed woman and finally thrilled to see women stepping out of those cultural uh, labels that have been, a, I just see a rising of women 
everywhere. And it's fabulous. It's fantastic. It, it gives me hope. Um, I think I see a change too. Again, you know, I'm going to be 69 next month. Baby. And, baby. <laughs> but I was on that cusp, you know, my first job, I wore all those horrible bowed necklace things that we all had to wear and the, you know and i and I, I didn't have a lot of money so it was those little polyester suits and it was just a horrible you know then we got into pants suits because that was like really women's lib that we could actually wear pants suits instead right. of skirts but i do think that you know it's taken obviously we stand on the shoulders of the suffragettes and the suffragettes stand on the women before them but i do feel now that there are certainly challenges you know the me too movement is so profound. But I feel that we have some more solid footing than we've ever had before. Do you feel that? I do. I think the ground is still a little shaky underneath. I still think there's a lot of uh, resentment in a lot of quarters, especially in the uh, white Christian evangelical movement that wants to take away right to choose. I'm not, I hate the word abortion rights because I don't think that's really at the core of it. It's about being able to choose the path of your own life. And so um, it's still shaky, but the ground is getting much more solid underneath. I love that your reporter brain, though, brought me back to something. You know, I sometimes get in the moment. And I think we've made so many strides, but I had a conversation with a Nobel Peace Prize winner and she won for climate change. And she mm -hmm. was very clear that the erosion of women's rights in reproductive rights will have a far reaching effect on women in other careers or in all careers if we can't judge um, and trust that a woman can make a decision about her body how can we trust her in the area of science or reporting so thank you for your reporter brain that brings me back to how tentative our gains could possibly be yeah there's always pushback and until these older generations which includes mine um are sort of long gone well, I think getting rid of that, uh, those biases and prejudices and fear, it's all fear-based, afraid of strong women. I, you and I, I've been dealing with that all my life. And I think uh, a lot of men and some women too uh, are scared of strong women. So there's more a license for that now. There's more tolerance. There's more acceptance. And that's a good thing. But there's a long way to go in terms of so many aspects of uh, the culture, racism, sexism, uh, you know, uh, homophobia, everything. So there's a lot, there's always a fight to be had. And, uh, you and, know. And, a and a story to be told. Yes. yes. You told some amazing stories in your book mm -hmm. from, uh, picking up on the theme of sexual harassment to famous rock stars um, yeah. <laughs> to James Kahn. Uh, Do you have a favorite story? Because I could not, I thought I was going to pick a favorite oh. and instead I just have this amazing dog eared version of your book with notes in the margin. Well, my favorite would be the Chuck Berry story. It's really one of the great, but I, I it'll take a little time to tell it, but, uh, and I'm not sure you can say, um, certain words on you can podcast. do the marginal version marginal version yeah <laughs> well i met chuck berry covering a concert and he didn't want us there and my television crew 
And so he said he's going to not perform if we were still there. But anyway, I started flirting with him. And to make a long, salacious story short, um, uh, he said he started started flirting back with me. And then he walked over to me and pulled out a wad of $100 bills, one after another, peeled them off, came up to me, offered them to me. Hey, mama, these are yours if you'll give me a little head before I go on stage. So I thought about it because, <laughs> because it's, it's Chuck Berry after all, but I declined and uh, we snuck around and uh, took video of him performing anyway. But I, yeah, I met a lot of famous people and notorious people. And I've realized that uh, a lot of us are, are close to madness and a lot of us are close to greatness and we never really get there. So uh, yeah, we're all the same. So talk a bit, though. I think it's interesting because you, you mentioned that you started flirting with him. Mm -hmm. And we also talk about, you know, being strong women. Mm -hmm. Is that just part of our skill set or how do we feel about that? Well, I was manipulating. I, I, he okay. told, yeah, that was my personality. He did not want us there while he was performing in this headliner rock and roll oldie show. So I figure I have to get this guy on my side. I have to get him on the team. So I start flirting with him and using that, my sexuality, as a tool to get what I wanted. <laughs> and I got what I wanted without having to follow through on his offer. Uh, so exactly. yeah, yeah, you do you do what you have to do. Um, yeah, I was I was I had a lot of close encounters with Keith Richards and when the Rolling Stones were here and uh you know, Paul McCartney and on and on and on. So James Kahn came on to me. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's either about sex or money. Everything really, I think comes, comes down to that. What a terrible thing to say. Yeah. Well, so, I think it's a, it's an interesting perspective. One of the yeah. things that really struck me in your book was that you went to the first Beatles concert and yeah. you you did that a little bit creatively, but I was absolutely struck in the book. Tell us how much the first Beatles concert ticket in the entire United States cost Entire you. Washington, D.C. Coliseum, Coliseum, February 11th, 1964. I remember what I was wearing. Um, the tickets were $4. I know. Crazy. <laughs> and, there and were so had... many interesting stories in your book, but that one stopped me dead on. I was like, yeah. $4 to see the Beatles? I was, I was gobsmacked. I, I, we were in the third row and I stared at them. And it was astonishing. I mean, growing up in Washington, D.C., um, I got to see a lot of history in the JFK assassination. I write about all of that and growing up um, and seeing history all around me. Um, so, yeah, I've had a, a bizarre, amazing life. Um, and I just felt a need to write about it. And I, and I want to address the term fearless. Um, people said, you know, what did you, in the, some of the talks I've given in, in, in uh, bookstores and whatnot, before COVID hit, I was getting ready to go on a national tour when COVID hit. So everything got shut down. So, um, anyway, I, uh, where was I? <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Um, you were talking about fearless. You wanted fearless. to fearless. fearless. Said, what do you mean by that term? And I said, it does not mean I'm not afraid. 
I've had plenty of moments in my life where I was afraid. And I talk about that in the book. I was raped at knife point at 22. I had cancer. I was fired from my job and tried to commit suicide because I lost everything I ever have. I know all about fear, but what it means is you go forward anyway. So you have to overcome that and push through. So I'm afraid of spiders, but other than that, you know, so, so, and I, I think that, um, I, I named it diary of a badass reporter because I think that really is who I was and who I still am and who I was when I was five years old and faked having polio. I mean, who, it's pretty badass behavior. It's a term that's overused, but all my friends said, no, that, <laughs> That applies to you. No problem. Well, I love that you brought us to the more sobering side because, you know, the movie stars, the Beatles, that's, that's all the dream part, but you've also dealt with murderers and missing children and horrible, horrible lows, but your personal um, experiences of being raped and being fired and cancer, Mm -hmm. those also shape us profoundly. Mm -hmm. What, what inner strength do you think you had to get by those? Well, that's what someone asked me. That's a really interesting question. And it was asked of me for the first time about a month ago by some, someone else. Um, and I can't recall who, but it doesn't matter. It was an interesting question. I had to think about that. And I think I was just born with this innate ability to just keep going, just move on. I think I it's in my DNA from my Russian grandparents who just, kept going and left the pogroms of Russia and fled to the United States with nothing but the clothes on their backs. And so something in me gave me the ability to say, oh, you know, just move on. But my career, meeting the thousands of people who'd undergone incredible challenges in their lives, uh, losses of children, uh, families of murder victims, all, I mean, astonishing things. I knew I wasn't alone and I had seen hundreds of people surmount their challenges. So I drew strength from them when those things hit me. Now, 22, you know, raped a knife at knife point when I was in Italy. Um, I just figured don't hurt my body. Don't cut me with the knife and I'll be fine. I wasn't a virgin. I wasn't hung up on that, but just don't cut me with the knife. So I escaped that. And in the book tells the story of what happened that same night um, when I was dumped on the side of a road and picked up by the man who ran the Academia, Michelangelo's Academia. It took me there at three in the morning and let me have a moment alone with the David inside under skylight. Astonishing. I mean, that's, that's the luck of my life. I was fired and lost everything, but I won the legal fight a year later. Um, I uh, had cancer, kidney cancer, had a kidney removed, but it was caught in time. So I didn't need chemo or radiation. So it's just not my time yet. And it I is think- not your. It is not your time. You are beginning to paint, and I love you paint your your pictures, and then you post them on Facebook, which brings yeah. so many of us so much joy. You're starting a new podcast. Tell us about that, and tell us a little bit more about your new book. Well, the new book. I've only written the first line. 
That's as far as I've, oh, that's as I've okay. gotten. In yeah. my new book, I've only written the first two pages and the well, epilogue. So we're you're in making shape you're making great progress. So yeah, I I can't figure out where I'm going with it, but it's a recurring theme in my dreams. And the first line of it is, I think my mother loved me, but I'm not certain of it. And I don't know. I had to write that. And I don't know where I'm going, but I'll figure it out. The, the painting is a meditation for me now. I painted um, in, in in college. It helped pay my way through pay my way through Northwestern University, and I sold paintings back when I was 18 and 19 years old. So then a 50 year break, 60 year break, and I found my brushes again and started painting. And I'm starting to sell those those paintings. So it's 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 crazy. And the podcast came out of nowhere. Uh, an old friend of mine, Penny Legate, who was a host of Evening Magazine here in Seattle, we found each other about six months ago. We'd always known each other, but not well. But we made each other laugh. She has the most infectious, contagious laugh. And we we decided, well, well, let's just do this. People have been saying, you need to do your own podcast. But I know how to do it. But then again, luck intervenes. And we find this amazing uh, radio uh, engineer, brilliant radio guy uh, who wants to hook up with us in a radio sense, technologically, and help <laughs> not us. Not the Chuck Berry sense. Not the Chuck Berry thing at all. And so he helps us navigate. He's our engineer. He makes sure the sound is crisp. And Penny and I came up with a ridiculous name for our podcast, which is A Couple of Dusty Muffins, um, <laughs> which we, we, we can't explain it, but it's memorable and ridiculous. And so we've done about 12 of them are, are posted on Spotify and Apple podcasts. We don't know what we're doing. You know, we don't, people say, what's, what's it about? Well, it's about girl talk and it's about anything that's on our minds. And we're starting to have some really interesting guests now. So it was the first few are just Penny and me being crazy. And the other thing is we, we're talking about issues that are very much oriented towards women and what they talk about and don't talk about more to the point. So, 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 so say the name again, because I've listened to a few of your episodes <laughs> and they're, they're both delightful, but very, very informative. A couple of dusty muffins, right? Couple, couple of dusty muffins. It's C O U P L A couple of, couple of dusty muffins. So it's ridiculous. Uh, but we, and plan on having uh, some amazing guests. We've had several already uh, interviews. And this, this week we're doing one with the former Seattle police chief, the first black police chief um, in the Seattle area. And one of the first in the United States who uh, has a lot to say about uh, the defunding police. So I, I, you know, I'm just not ready. Our, our motto is we're old, we're loud, and we're not ready to shut up. We're getting okay. ready to, we're getting ready to launch a Facebook page. But anyway, I'm just trying to, all this stuff keeps me young and I still have my horse. God bless my horse. Well, I wanted to kind of round out our interview with the yeah. idea that you had this amazing career yeah. and then there was Hollywood. Yeah. Horse, Who is your fabulous horse. horse. Yeah. I, she, again, that was an accident. Uh, my dear friend, Pepper Schwartz, who people may know from Married at First Sight, but we've been Absolutely. friends for over 50 years. Uh, she owns a horse ranch about uh, 30 miles east of Seattle. And one day after September 11th, she said, come on out to the ranch. 
you loved horses as a little girl and come on out and spend a day with me. So I did. And at the end of the day, she brings out this six month old Hollywood. She'd been named already. And I took one look at this creature and I started to cry because this was the horse that I dreamed about when I was a little girl faking having polio. All I wanted to do was have a horse, but my mother would never let me have one. So here she was. She came into my life at 55. I bought her that day. Isn't that crazy? I knew nothing about how to care for a horse or raise a horse. She was completely untrained and a wild little thing. And the perfect horse for me, the only real creature I've ever been intimidated by. And she humbled me and taught me things. I needed humbling. I thought I was important, I guess, for a while. But having a horse and raising a horse is an amazing experience. And we had hundreds of trail rides together. And she is the really my heart animal. And she's 21 now and still as sassy as ever. <laughs> so we're, we're a lot alike. Yeah. I was going to say, as both of you are, Julie, we have so much more we can talk about. I want you to write more than the first line of your next book. <laughs> and we will circle back and chat often. I just am so grateful to have you uh, in my life as a new friend and somebody who have great conversations with. Thanks for being with me on The Storytellers. Thank you, Grace Salmon. You're amazing. Well, thank you for that. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thanks so much. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.